Well, I have been talking about Bianca and I got to meet her husband last night. Beck and I had a great time with her and her husband. He had to fly back to California because he's serving with the church. And, uh, but if ladies, you have enjoyed having Bianca here. Men, you're in for a treat. Uh, buckle up, get ready. Can you welcome Bianca to our platform to preach the word today as she comes and open up your hearts for Steve. Come on, let's welcome her. Thank you, Pastor Rob. Thank you so much. Good morning, church. Thank you, thank you. What a reception, I appreciate it. Uh, Pastor Rob mentioned that my husband was here for Sparkle and, and for services last night. He had to fly back home, but uh, I, I, I think that you're kind of guaranteed to like me because the greatest export from Minnesota is my husband, Matt Olthoff. Okay, like his family has a house here in Apple Valley and in Plymouth. He went to high school in Bloomington and uh, Pastor Rob likened me like spicy and, and, and I think uh, Pastor Becca had said, oh yeah, Pastor Becca said spicy as well. And I liken my husband and our relationship to chips and salsa because he's white and salty and I'm fiery and spicy. We're a good mix. And so we're, we're gonna like each other today. I hope in the name and the glory of God, amen. Um, it has been my privilege and my honor to be here this weekend, not only to serve you, but for also like my soul to receive soul food. Um, the pastors of this house, the, the leadership of this house, the pastoral team, the worship team is excellent. Your reputa reputation precedes you. We heard about River Valley before we had ever been here. So thank you for believing in the pastors, the leadership of this team, the vision of this house. And yes, I have one person that agrees that, oh, this is gonna be my amen corner right here. I love that. Yes, girl, I remember you from Sparkle. Listen, on that little note, I just wanna let you know that this is the later service. You had your breakfast, you had your coffee, you might have even worked out. I expect you to lean in. I expect you to have a God encounter. So today you have permission. Maybe this is not your denominational background. Maybe you're not used to speaking back in church, but uh, my daddy's a pastor from East Los Angeles, AKA the hood. And at daddy's church, when he says something good, they just shout out, amen. They'll be like, yes, Lord, take me to Zion, whatever you want. If you're, if you're spiritual and, and, and don't mind, and you could even say, yes, Lord, that word is for me. And if you're a wife here today, I permit you to be the Holy Spirit and say, yes, Lord, that word was for him. Okay. <laughs> I too have played the Holy Spirit in my relationship. So today you have permission to shout back, holler, stand up, whatever you need to do. But I just ask that you press into the word that God has for us this morning. And as I prepared, uh, prepared for Sparkle, we're really excited, spoke twice at Sparkle 1, uh, spark tw spoke twice at Sparkle 2 now, but this weekend word, I said, Lord, I want, you to, I want you to give me a word for the house. Give me a word for the church. And instead of like a message or, 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 or a specific text, I believe the Lord gave me a word and he told me upgrade. I was like, yes, Lord, okay, I love me an upgrade. Yes, yes. You walk into a hotel and, and they let you know, oh, excuse me, you had a complication with the rooms, but we've upgraded your room. You're like, yes, Lord. Maybe you got a, a, a change in your promotion at work and you got to upgrade and pay, yes, Lord. Or if you're like me, I've made it my competition, my personal competition to see how many times I can get upgraded when I go rent a car, right? Uh, I'm the only carnal person here. Okay, uh, so I was on my way to a leadership conference in Atlanta and um, when I got my luggage, I went over to Hertz. I was about to rent a car and there was a long line of people and the guy sitting behind the desk uh, didn't look like he was not only having like a good day, but quite possibly not a good life. Like he hasn't smiled since 1967, okay? Like, 
So I made it my goal. I'm like, I'm gonna make this guy laugh. I'm gonna make him smile. Like, I'm just gonna butter this guy up. Well, the time I made it to the front of the counter, I was talking with him, chatting it up, zippity doo dah, God is good, the sky is blue, the clouds are white, and he's giving me nothing. And so when I told, he asked me, okay, well, what is your name? What's the name of the reservation? And I said, it's Bianca, but you can call me Beyonce, okay? Because I'm the real queen. And he kind of laughed. I was like, okay, we're making it, we're making it. He said, okay, what was the classification of the car that you reserved? And I said, well, it's basic, but I would really like the Ferrari. And then he laughed. And I was like, yes. He said, girl, this is hers. We ain't got no Ferraris. I was like, okay, okay. He said, but I'll see what I could do. He handed me an envelope, and on top of the envelope, there was a number, and that number corresponded with a lot in the parking lot, and you walk out and the keys are in the car. So as I exited out of Hertz, you could see the lineup of cars. We went from um, what my budget afforded, a Yaris, like, praise God for a Yaris. You know, a Yaris, and I kept on walking, and we made it to the Corollas, and they kept on going. I was passing the Camrys. I made it to the Prius and I was like, won't he do it? Yes, Lord. I'm saving the environment and get an upgrade. God, you are good. But I had to keep on walking. All of a sudden I come to a lot and the numbers on the lot corresponded with the numbers on my envelope. And I'm like, are you for real? It was a black, brand new Mercedes Benz with rims, with rims. Yes, Lord, you know you're in Hotlanta when your rent-a-car has rims, okay? I was like, oh, this queen came up. Yes, Lord, won't he do it? Where's my pocket shofar, my praise banners? Like, I'm about to have a little praise party right there in the Atlanta airport. My God is so good. I got into the car and I was really excited. And then I had just like a moment. How many of us have ever had a moment where your blessings become your burdens? Where all of a sudden God is blessing you and, and you're left with some questions. What is this gonna look like? How will people interpret me? I don't know if I can handle this. Like, I don't know about you, but I was faced with an external and an internal problem. My external problem was uh, I didn't drive stick. <laughs> so let's just start there. California girl just don't, never learned. And, and I was homeschooled, so bless my heart. That explains so much. And then the internal crisis that I had was, I'm going to a Christian leadership conference. And if I roll up in this like fancy car, are people gonna judge like, oh, there's the snake oil salesman fleecing the flock. Oh yeah, you know, so I was kind of like, oh, what do I do? Should I take the keys in the envelope and walk back to my friend at Hertz and say, I'm so sorry, this is too much for me, or I don't know how to use it, or I can't handle it, or what will people think of me? Uh-uh, I was like, I have not come this far to only come this far. I'm gonna figure this out. No, Lord, you gave me this blessing, I'm gonna walk this out. I cannot help but parallel this, this blessing, this, this upgrade with my own spiritual journey. I believe that the Lord was calling me to more. I didn't know what that looked like, but as I was willing to figure out how to drive this car and, and think about and process how I was gonna explain my upgrade to people, um, I, I was gonna parallel this to my own spiritual journey of, I was afraid of being misunderstood. I was afraid of being misinterpreted because when we talk about things like God and his son Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that might freak people out but I didn't care. I didn't care what people were gonna think of me or if they were gonna judge me or even if I really knew how to walk this thing out, I was gonna move forward. I figured out how to drive the car. I figured out where to park the car. I parked in the back so no one saw me. And in my, in my own spiritual journey, I was going on this daring adventure to get to understand the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
say, because as a Christian, I was raised in church, went to vacation Bible school, winter camp, summer camp, I'm a pastor's kid. And so without even realizing it, I began to understand Christianese, living victoriously through the sanctified life of Jesus Christ, the empowerment of the spirit. But like, what does that really mean? And if you don't think that you speak Christianese, you're lying to yourself because you walked into the doors and someone said, oh, good morning, how are you? Blessed, so good. Here's my seraphim and my cherubim and they're going to kids' church. Yep, 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 God is good. And in the car, you were like, you know, using unsavory language, four letter words that were not love on the way into the parking lot this morning, right? So we naturally can speak Christianese. I wanna cut through that because God's word says to us in Jeremiah, seek me and you will find me. Are you on a daring journey to figure out this Christian life? This is where I found myself 10 years ago. I walked into an auditorium much like this to a conference, much like Sparkle. I knew only two people at this entire conference. One was the pastor and one was the conference organizer. And uh, I, was, I was going in as a 24 year old, uh, but I felt like an 85 year old Pharisee because I love me some legalism. I loved the law. Uh, I, I just wanted more information, more Bible studies, more exegesis, more apologetics, just more. My, 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 my mind uh, wanted information, but what my soul wanted was revelation. I couldn't distinguish it. I couldn't classify it, but this is what it was. I wanted freedom and, and, and victory, but I was held captive to rightness and righteousness. But one conversation led to a spiritual conversion and ultimately to the call of God upon my life even today. The pastor spoke to me and said, Bianca, you love Jesus and I know you understand who God is, but you are fearful of what the Holy Spirit is, wants to do in your life. You don't understand it and we always fear what we don't understand. I went on this daring journey and dare I say in the conversation that we have today, I pray that there is a spiritual conversion that awakens the call of God upon your life. Now we don't have a lot of time, this is a massive goal, so I want you to pull out your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter nine. But before we get to Acts chapter nine, there's a little bit of context, a little foundation that we need to lay. In Acts chapter seven, there's a fascinating uh, account of a man that's there. And the reason why I'm passionate about the word, uh, Pastor Rob was talking about how I, I love the word and that I talk fast. Listen, friends, I don't talk fast, you listen slow, okay? So buckle up, we got a lot of work to do for, over, to get through the next two chapters because we're gonna camp out in Acts chapter nine. But it starts and gives us a little hint of a particular man. No, I love this man. I adore this man. And yes, I'm happily married and love my Minnesotan husband, but it's okay to have a crush on a dead guy. Okay, like my Bible boyfriend is Paul the Apostle. I absolutely love Paul. He's a man of languages, a man with wherewithal, a man of education, a learned man, a, ze a man of ze zeal and, and influence and power. And as a recovering legalist, I am about that life. Like, yes, Paul, I love it. I speak about, I speak openly about my, my inordinate love of Paul the Apostle. And one time after a conference, a woman comes up to me and she said, Bianca, do you know that, 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 that theologians believe that Paul was, was not a very good looking man. They assumed that he was short and, and portly and had like a hook nose. In fact, he might've even had an issue with his eye that excreted gross stuff. And so he wasn't very attractive. I just wanted to bless her heart real, bit, real quick, right there. Be like, oh, I, I'm sorry, here's the thing. Um, here's a man who loves the gospel, who's preaching communicated gospel around the globe, speaks multiple languages, is anointed to use words far above any other our comprehension, and he has one eye, guess what? I just look 50% better. Yes, Lord, bye. Uh-uh, uh-uh. And that might be a word for a sister in here. You're like, please God, send me a gorgeous man. No friend, what you need is a godly man, okay? 
You want someone like Paul the apostle, but here on a hot, dusty desert road, Saul has a conversation that leads to a spiritual conversion and ultimately to the call of God upon his life. But for us to get to this moment in Acts chapter nine, we need to rewind and give some, some context and lay a foundation. We see in Acts chapter two, the beginning of this book, that there is something gnarly that happens. There's something supernatural that happens. It is the pivot point in Christianity as we even know it today in 2017. See, something happens in the book previously. So we're in Acts and John, John chapter 14, Jesus has this discourse with the disciples and he's telling them, I'm laying a foundation. I'm leaving, I'm gonna go with my father, but I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I am gonna leave you with an advocate, a comfort of the Holy Spirit that's gonna be by your side. And the things that I, have done, you will do these and greater. Well, what did Jesus do? He gave sight to the blind. He multiplied food. He walked on water. He brought the dead back to life. I'm fascinated when Jesus says we will do these and greater. What is that greater? What is my greater? Friend, what is your greater? Listen to the words that he gives them in John 14. And I will ask the father and he will give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. See, in John chapter 14, Jesus makes a promise and this promise becomes a presence in Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit comes upon the lives of the believers. Their lives, their faith and beliefs are radically, radically changed. The church explodes and people from the surrounding region started getting used in mighty ways to do supernatural, miraculous things. In chapter three, four, five, and six, the church explodes. But how many know where there is multiplication, the enemy comes in to divide. The church is growing exponentially. And what we see here is something fascinating because there is a need for leaders to grow. There's a need for leaders to rise because the church was exploding to multiple campuses. It was a multi-site church. Isn't that funny? I mean, coincidentally, if we're part of a church, oh, I don't know, in Minnesota that has a goal of planting, oh, I don't know, multiple churches to be multiple sites, that there's a need for leadership in this house. You didn't come to church this morning to sit on your hands and look pretty and give $5. You came because the Spirit of the living God is knocking on your door of your heart saying, I have so much more for you. Are you ready? You can't even handle. You, it's like Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men. You can't handle the truth. The truth of the Spirit of God is knocking on the door of your heart saying, I have so much more for you. Are you ready? Can you handle the upgrade? I'm, I'm getting like just Beyonce and Destiny's Child. I don't think you're ready for all this jelly. I think the spirit of the living God is saying, I don't think you are ready for what is gonna happen here. Well, one of the leaders who rose to the top, his name was Stephen. We know a little bit about him because in Acts chapter six, verse eight, we are told this, that Stephen was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And he performed great wonders and signs among the early church. Well, there were some dissenters. There were some haters of the religious folk, the ones with the stank faces on Sunday morning that think that they're better than everyone else. Yeah, those people, the Pharisees. That, I'm not judging anyone in here, okay? Um, that, there were some Pharisees that rose and were really upset that Stephen was advocating on behalf of this man named Jesus, that there was people that claimed that he was Christ and their group was called Christians, which meant little Christ. So they put him on trial in one of the greatest apologetic defenses of the gospel and historical count of Judaism crashing and coming together with the messianic promise of their savior, Jesus. He drops the mic, like he lays it on so thick. At the end of this discourse, he, he says this in Acts 7.51, you stiffed neck 
people. The BIV version, the Bianca International version says, you are stubborn and arrogant people. Your heart and ears are still uncircumcised. You don't even have ears. You cannot handle what I'm saying. You are just like your ancestors. You are just like your daddy and his daddy and his daddy's daddy's daddies. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Ooh, then be fighting words, okay? Like he just, he just took them to school, spanked them. And in Acts chapter eight, verse one, we see the verse that gives us a glimpse of who this man Saul is. Check out Acts chapter eight, verse one. And Saul approved of their killing him. Paul not only initiated the persecution and the prosecution of Christians, but he oversaw the first murder of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. They had a rock concert that day. And I'm not talking about music, as in like they picked up rocks and stoned Stephen to death. Paul is out for blood and he wants to stop those Christians from spreading the good news. Side note, for those that are taking note, there will always be resistance from the things that bring God glory. There will be resistance against your marriage. There will be resistance against your academic goals. There will be resistance in you getting out of debt or you raising your children. There will be resistance to the things that bring God glory. But as the early church grew and moved forward, I pray that we too grow and not grow weary in doing good, but continue to fight the good fight. So picture the scene. Uh, Saul is walking with his cronies, he's homeboys, and he's going to go find those annoying Christians. He is on a manhunt, literally, because we are told in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, that he wrote a letter to the high priest, which is like the big kahuna, the master bastard, the big enchilada. And he's just like, tell me where those Christians are, because we're going to go up north. They're down south. We're going to go up north. We're going to find them. We're going to persecute them. And then we're going to bring them down south and we're going to prosecute them. So he's rolling, he's rolling with his crew. He's gonna go find these Christians, breathing hot threats. And people are fearful of this man named Saul because people's lives are being taken from them. But the confronter is about to be confronted. The hunter is about to be hunted and the accuser is about to be accused. And this is where we pick this up in Acts chapter nine, verse three. You ready? Let's do it. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Paul said in a Southern accent, because remember he was from the South and I love my Southern friends, but they're a little bit legalistic. You know the South, right? And for those that were here at Sparkle this weekend, you understand how I interpret the Bible and how I'm passionate about narrative. Um, for those that were not here at Sparkle, I hope that you go next year and join downtown. For the men in the house, that I think that there's a little bit of historical context that you need as to why I'm passionate about making the Bible come alive. I hear all the time, but Bianca, you know, the Bible's boring. No, boo-boo, maybe you're boring, okay? <laughs> like, I want the Bible to be active and alive. It's not only a book that we read, but that it reads us, amen. I was raised going to my grandmother's house and watching soap operas. Now, she's my Puerto Rican grandmother, so we'd go to her house and she would serve us coffee and we'd watch soap operas and do all the things that mom said we were not allowed to do, which was very exciting. But as you're sitting here, probably in a, in a, a mindset of what comes to mind when you think of soap operas, you might be thinking of General Hospital or One Life to Live or uh, The Young and the Restless. 
But I was raised on something called novelas, which are Spanish operas, which means they're like next level dramatic. To make sure that we have a proper understanding, a, 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 a scene from like General Hospital or One Life to Live, a somebody who's very tall and has a svelte waist and long legs with thighs that probably don't touch, will come in with neatly combed hair, look languidly at her lover who just told her he doesn't want to be with her anymore, and she will very sanely turn to the camera and say, but John, I don't understand. Why are you leaving me? Please don't go. And a novella, somebody runs in with back combed hair really big, eyelashes so long, when she blinks, you can feel it through the screen. She looks at her forlorn lover and cries out, Pero Juanito, no se va mi amor, por qué, por qué, mi amor, no entiendo, no entiendo. And then someone runs in, shoots Juanito. You find out that Juanito is her baby daddy and you're like, oh my gosh. <gasps> This is how I want to read the Bible. I want the characters to come alive. So my mind's eye saw has got a big belt, brass buckle, because he's from the South. <laughs> Who are you, Lord? And the voice piercing the sky says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul thought he had authority and power, but in a single moment, he was speaking to the voice of authority, the voice that spoke light into darkness, the voice that spoke to Moses from a burning bush, the voice that called out to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the voice that spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the voice that spoke to the prophets of the Old Testament, the voice that cried out on the cross, it is finished, and the voice that said, come and touch my scars. That voice confronted Paul. Paul had a conversation that led to a conversion. The definition of conversion is a change in character, form, or function. For redemption to take place, redemption requires conversion. You want your pain to have a purpose? You want your story and your life and your pain to be redeemed? Guess what, friends? A conversion is required. Now, Filled under the power of the Holy Spirit, David went from killing lions to slaying giants. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter went from a, fisher, a fisherman to a fisher of men. Mary Magdalene went from a prostitute to a proselyte. I went from a law-loving legalist to someone who loves the lost. When we have a conversation with God, we cannot help but be changed. Have you had a conversation with God? And I'm not just talking about the spiritual conversion of accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, that is, that is the foundational in our walk. That is saying, I choose to believe Jesus. What I'm talking about is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit to do things that we never thought humanly possible we could do, to forgive our neighbor, to love our wayward child, to reconcile in our marriage, to do the things that we know we should do and we don't do. Maybe it's the power of the Holy Spirit to stop you from downloading and clicking things that you should not download and click. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit stopping you from over-consuming the things that you should not be consuming. Maybe it's the power of the Holy Spirit to stop you from drinking the things that you should not be drinking. Maybe it's the power of the Holy Spirit to stop you from tooting, smacking, smoking, anything else. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Saul, Saul was a good Jew. In fact, Scripture tells us that he was a Jew of Jews. He was trained by the top uh, religious people of that time, but he didn't allow the spirit of the law to change his heart and his life. 
He didn't allow to breathe on him the way that it breathed into the lungs of Adam to, to bring life. Didn't allow the spirit of the law to, 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 to raise up like Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, the breath that brought them life. He didn't allow the breath, like a breath came over the early church in Acts chapter two. See, to Saul, it was merely a set of rules and traditions to follow, but it wasn't something that was breathing life into him. Do you have the breath of life breathing into you? And we, like Paul, we can know rules and regulations but, and have it still not let us change our life. Romans 8, 11 says this, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you. The spirit of the living God is alive in you. You don't have to live dead anymore. You are alive in Christ. You don't have to live stoop low because the God on high has plans because he sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he hears you. So you are not your depression. You are not your anxiety. You are not your divorce. You are not your debt. You are not none of these things. We are children of the most high God and God is empowering you to do what you need to do, not because of who you are, but in spite of how we sin. Our God loves us and is advocating. And I see men and women across this nation, dare I say across the globe, living half-baked lives, Christian people living half-baked lives, wondering why they're defeated and depressed and all this other stuff again and again and again. But listen, listen, we don't have to live empty lives as believers. There will be trials and there will be tribulations. But in spite of that, we choose to believe that God is good because he says, I have come to give you life and life abundant. This is the God that we serve. Spurgeon, another dead guy, he says, far too many Christians have come only through Calvary, but not through Pentecost. So as a result, we are butterflies. We were meant to be eagles. I want a generation of people to rise up and say, if I am not dead, then God is not done. And my generation needs those who have gone before and those that are coming afterwards to say, no, 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 our greatest awaits us in our destiny. Revival hasn't only been in our history. And I look at this campus and the eight other campuses and I wanna declare and beg and implore and plead that there are more churches that need to come out of this church. That this is not just for this region. I believe it's for the state of Minnesota. Dare I say it's for the nation to taste what you guys are serving up here. Now, this is an invitation. Now to get back to the Acts 2 church, we need the Holy Spirit to breathe on us. But the question is how? Revival starts here and in closing, uh, Saul has a conversation that leads to a conversion and ultimately the call of God upon his life. In verse four, we are told that Saul fell to his knees. Now I found it interesting that Pastor Rob asked us to come to our knees and pray and intercede for this country. And I beg of you that we continue on with that at some point this week, to pray for ourselves, to pray for our neighbors, to pray for this country, to pray for what's going on across the globe. But do you hear his invitation to rise up? We are not meant to live stooped low because the God on high has purpose and plan and destiny for our life. Now, if you're taking note, using verse six as our, our, our pull apart points, get up, look at verse six. Now get up. In the book of Mark, there is a man, a father, winded and breathless, sweating as he runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, please heal my daughter. She's on her last leg, she's gonna die. Jesus, moved with compassion, goes all the way back to this man's house. And as he, they're approaching the house, people are weeping and wailing and crying. And they're saying, it's too late, she's dead, don't worry about it. And Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, she's not dead, she's merely sleeping. And they laugh at him. He goes into a dark room and there laid in the bed was a, a daughter of this man who's completely dead. And he says these words, Talitha Ko'um, little girl, I tell you to get up. 
daughters and sons of the most high God, I tell you to get up. You are just spiritually sleeping. Wake up. It's time to get up because there's work to do. Point number two, look at verse six. Now get up and go into the city. Don't stay here in our holy huddle, us four and no more. No, no, no. There are conversations that need to play, take place. There are conversions that need to happen. There's calls for you to walk into. So get up and go into your cities, go into your homes, go into your cubicles, go into your campuses and begin to listen to the quiet, still voice of the Holy Spirit. Go work on your marriage. Go love the illegal immigrant. Go foster that child. Go to the Leadership Institute. Begin to trust me with your finances. Will God ever ask you to do something that's difficult? All the time, friends, all the time, yeah. Um, if we function according to our power and we did it, guess what, we get the glory. But if we function according to the power of the spirit of God that lives within us, it is God who gets the glory. It is a God did it testimony. I want a God did it testimony. When something happens, I wanna be like, there's no way humanly possible that this could ever happen, but my God is so good. Look at verse six in our third point. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. So get up, go, and you'll be told what you are to do. Now, I don't like that. I want to know before I go. I want an action plan, a plan A, B, and C. I want a safety belt. I want a safety hat. I want safety goggles. I want a safety net. Yes, but God is calling us to do things and go to places that we didn't even know existed. And at this same time, there's a man named Ananias, and he's having a conversation with God. Scripture tells us a couple of verses later that he has this vision, and God says, um, Ananias, I want you to go lay hands on Paul. And Ananias is like, I'm sorry, what? You want me to do what? Ananias is a little ghetto in my mind, right? He's like, I'm sorry, God. Do you know this man, Saul? No, you want me to lay hands on Saul, but he will lay hands on me. I might see you in glory, Lord. Like he's gonna take my life. He's persecuting Christians. But Ananias obeys. And I pray that when you hear the voice of the spirit, no matter how crazy or dangerous it sounds like, you say yes, because look at verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with what church? The Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us immediately something like scales fell off of his eyes and he regained sight. And Saul was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment. No longer was it something to be promised, but it was a presence in his life. Paul never assumed that one day he would be read by billions of people. He didn't know that one day he was gonna disciple many men and women. He never knew that he was gonna be face to face with some of the most powerful men of that time but a conversation led to a conversion and ultimately the call of God upon his life. 10 years ago, you couldn't have told me a little girl, a product of the hood, a product of the ghetto who couldn't read, write or spell at the age of 11, first generation American, obese, every statistical reason to fail, to tell me that 10 years later, I would be preaching and dispensing the gospel to people in Minnesota that I would help my dad launch a church in the streets of East Los Angeles and lead youth ministry and eventually college ministry for seven years. And then to work under Christine Kane, one of the nations, dare I say, the world's most prominent and gifted evangelists and communicators. Never did I know that I was gonna be launching into a prison ministry that would be taking essentially conferences like Sparkle into prisons because women in prison need Jesus too but you never know how a conversation can lead to a conversion and ultimately the call of God upon our lives. So this week, 
Are you willing to have a conversation with God, his son Jesus, the spirit that dwells within us? Because I firmly believe that if you have a conversation with the Lord, there is a soul conversion that takes place that might just awaken the call of God upon your life. And what if you are the one that has a conversation with someone to declare and decree over them as Britt Merrick declared over me, Bianca, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to take your life to the next level. That is the upgrade that we get to have. That is the free gift. That is the free blessing. That is the releasing and empowering power of God on high, alive in you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your gift to us of salvation and also the presence of your spirit in our lives. May we go out of these doors knowing that we are empowered, we are equipped, we are educated. We thank you for this house, we thank you for the pastors and we ask for a spiritual outpouring, a revival of our hearts and minds and dare I say, a revival of this state. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen.